Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 258, The Ghosts of Charles Manson. Hey guys, it's Mike here, and I'm with... Wendy. And we're also with our friend... Yeah, Scott from What's Your Ghost Story. All right, so thanks for hanging out today, guys. And when you think about Charles Manson, what's the first thing... Like, like a little word association. Charles Manson, what's the first thing you think about? Swastika, I guess. Okay. <laughs> the visual of him. Yeah, that's exactly what my... the. That creepy picture of him with his eyes bugging out. <laughs> yeah, right? And so, like, he represents insanity, kind of. Yeah. You know, he's all, forever. I mean, I remember the, uh, the first time I really heard of him was an interview with Geraldo Rivera or something <laughs> when I was a kid. It was out in the 80s. And uh, so he's interviewing Charles Manson from prison, and then he's got the swastika on his head. You know, like, and you're like, oh God, first of all, if you're going to put a Nazi symbol on your head, that's crazy. It's a look that's always in. Right. And second of all, he's just saying crazy things. Like, Geraldo's asking him questions. He's like what you think of when you think of a serial killer or, Mm -hmm. you know, a murderer of some kind. Like, completely unstable. Um, saying one thing, then saying the other. Like I always just make fun of it. He's like, "I'm Jesus Christ." No, I'm Satan. And then, and Geraldo's just gonna be like, "I could kick your ass." <laughs> like Geraldo, like threatening him, always threatening him. Like Geraldo, he's already in prison. What are you gonna just start punching him in the face? Um, his, you know, Geraldo's special interviewing style uh, that was, uh, ber- you know, berating your subject. <laughs> And, you know, not that Charles Manson couldn't use a couple of punches in the face, (laughs) but I'm sure he wasn't the most popular guy in prison, uh, considering they did give him the death penalty. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he he was supposed to be executed, but then uh, when the Supreme Court put like a moratorium or whatever on all death penalties in the 1970s, he was one of those that... It just got turned to life in prison. Yeah, all, mm. all the Manson family member, members. Yeah. And it's unbelievable. You think of all, all the violence in prison. This guy would have such a target on him. Whoever killed him in prison would be a celebrity. Right. And he lived to, what, 83 or something like that. So he lived out his full life. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Charles Manson, too, is, uh, and we'll get into the a little bit of the history and... Uh, you know, what actually happened. Well, we don't know what actually happened. It's not like we were in this room. It's not like we were there right. in 1969. And this, you know, but, but we know it was reported. Yes. But, we, you know, we'll get into that if you guys aren't familiar with Charlie and his work. But yeah, he, I mean, born in 1934, lived to 2017. He died on my uh, 41st birthday. Happy birthday to <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. So it's like, Geraldo should thank me because uh, he died on my birthday. You know, and, the thing is, it would be on the news every time Charles Manson would come up for parole. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I remember as a kid, I mean, you first see that uh, interview with Geraldo, and you hear about the murders, and you're like, oh my God, that's horrible. And you see this interview, like, this guy's crazy. The, the definition of insanity um, is Charles Manson. And then, every two years in the news, they know it, you know, people are going to be like, oh, they're going to let him out this time? He's going to be on the loose. Yeah, what do you think they're going to let him out this time? Yep, Charles Manson, that guy is completely rehabilitated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get out of here. So, I mean, born in Cincinnati in 1934, and it, it's not like he had a great upbringing or anything. He would blame that, you know, yeah. for a lot of reasons that he said he was going to blame his upbringing. His mother, Kathleen Manson Bauer Cavender, uh, she was 16 years old at the time um, that he was born. And he didn't have a name when he was born. So he, 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 uh, Charles Maddox uh, seemed to be the, the name that he, he got after a couple of weeks. His biological father is a... Uh, a guy who was not sticking around. He, Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. is the best part of this from Kentucky. Um, so Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. Colonel is his actual name. Like he's not a colonel in the army. Oh, that's. But they gave him the name. Like he, he used his <laughs> colonel was his first name. That's one way to get a title. <laughs> yeah. Was Colonel Sanders a colonel <laughs> on that point? <laughs> yeah, right. He, he was as much of a colonel as Elvis's Colonel Parker yeah. <laughs> and Colonel Sanders with the chicken. Um, he told this girl, um, Charles Manson's mother, that he was a colonel in the army. And she told him he was pregnant. 
And he said, oh, you know what? I'll be back soon, but I've been uh-huh. called away. I've been called away on army business. Ouch. And he never came back. Classy. So, yeah. But she ended up, you know, she did get married to someone um, before Charles, uh, William Eugene Manson. Uh, she did get married to a guy before Charles was born. Um, so at least when he was born, he had some kind of father. Wow. Uh, and, but they were divorced three years later. I mean, the whole, I mean, his whole upbringing, he doesn't have a stable mother. She's got boyfriends who are dudes that go in and out of prison. Mm. Like it's, it's kind of the, you know, the usual story of, um, a crap old childhood, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he starts then getting into petty crime, which that's kind of happens. Yeah. yeah. That's, when you're a, uh, um, like a kid with a bad upbringing, it's not weird to start stealing things or stealing cars, uh, rob places. And, and that's kind of what, you know, that's what he started doing. And this is before anybody even thinks he's crazy. Mm-hmm. So he goes to jail uh, in, you know, in these different places, uh, Virginia, Ohio. He marries a woman in 1955. Uh, she, he gets her pregnant they moved to Los Angeles in a car that he had stolen from Ohio. <laughs> he's already providing. Yes, yeah. he's already <laughs> providing for his family. Um, you know, he gets arrested, goes back to prison in San Pedro, California. His wife gives birth to their son, you know, and then she divorces him because mm. he's in prison. And, yeah. you know, she's got to raise a kid. So, like, all this stuff keeps on going on. Um, he gets back out of prison. He's pimping a 16-year-old girl. So he starts getting into that business of yeah, being a pimp, yeah. being, you know, pimping prostitutes. And what I think is interesting is, you know, it's all these different crimes um, that he gets into. Really, it's, I believe it's the pimping of the girls is what enables him to get further in his life and career. Because if it starts, you know, it starts with um, actual prostitution once he has these family members to work with, he uses the girl's willingness oh, to have yeah. sex with people to as a commodity. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's how he pays for things. Yeah, and it was at the perfect time in history, you know, where right everybody people were a lot more trusting with each other. You know, the free love time. Yeah, I mean, the birth control pill comes out mm-hmm. like in the mid nineteen sixties. So I mean, I just actually I just listened to Malcolm Gladwell on a podcast talk about the the guy that invented the birth control pill, and it's interesting the um, the philosophical debates and stuff they were having at the time. But it comes out, and then now uh, you can have sex without worry about you getting pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Okay, enter Charles Manson, <laughs> right? Um, and so he's in and out of prison, getting suspended sentences, being on parole. Uh, you know. When he does like a three-year stint in the mid-1960s, he learns how to play guitar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's a pretty useful thing to learn in prison, though. <laughs> right. Of all the things you could learn in prison, of course, yeah. Especially right. if you're going to try to attract women later, you know? Right. Uh, you know, he gets, out of, he gets out of jail, goes to San Francisco, and... Well, San Francisco, it's the height of the hippie movement. And yeah. San Francisco... The summer is, love. Yeah. 1967, <laughs> baby. And, <laughs> you know, he gets there. And it was funny. Um, my mother, who is like the anti-hippie, if you mean. <laughs> so, because she, she was just a little too old for that. So, uh, you know, by the time the summer love, my mother would have been 28 years old. So kind of mm-hmm. past hippie age. And that's, the, that's the point where... Those age people are annoying to you, yeah. <laughs> right? But she talks about that. Uh, her and my father went on like a road trip in California, and they went to hate Ashbury because yeah. they heard all these things about San Francisco. And did she wear some flowers in her hair? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she had something. But, uh, but she walks into this theater and buy tickets or go see a show or whatever. She's like, "Well, I walked in and saw all those people and the hippies and everything, and." Um, well, we walked out. Yeah. <laughs> Been there, done that. Saw yeah, stick like, around long. We, we saw what we needed to see in San Francisco, <laughs> which made it even better. Uh, 20 years later, in 1987, we spent the summer in Berkeley, and we were arrived in Berkeley, um, and we were living on campus during the summer, and we arrived there on the day of the Grateful Dead concert. 
Wow. So it was this all Ground the, zero. like yeah, the <laughs> fans and everything, like all down the street. And my mother's like, It's just how I remember it, Bob. Like <laughs> that's it, awesome. It hadn't changed in twenty <laughs> yeah. years since they'd been there. Um anyway. So but I mean, he gets there and then you know, all these things when they uh they talk about Charles Manson. Obviously, we've been reading a lot about him this week. And one of the reasons we're talking course, about him yes. is, if number one, it's the 50th anniversary mm-hmm. of the murders mm. of Sharon Tate. Is it August 9th and 10th, I think? Yeah. And the LaBianca family and uh, Gary Hinman. And, and so it's, it's the anniversary of those murders of the people. Um, and also, Quentin Tarantino unleashed his newest film on the world. <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. Yes. And I like that he takes that title, that Once Upon a Time, because that's um, there's Once Upon a Time in the West, which is like a Sergio Leone uh, spaghetti western, and there's Once Upon a Time in New York, which is the uh, like a gangster film from, from the early nice. like like you know a, a gangster saga, and so he's kind of I mean obviously Quentin Tarantino loves spaghetti westerns because. Yeah. Django Unchained, yes, <laughs> uh, basically is one. But then, like, even the title is his own little homage to yeah. Ser- Sergio Leone. And actually, the guy that did the um, the music for the Spaghetti Westerns, oh, I can't remember his name right now. He did the music for Hateful Eight. Oh, and so like, uh, you know, he lived. Quentin Tarantino lives in a world of everything he does has to be some kind of reference <laughs> yeah. to something before, and he's living out his dream too. Like, Absolutely, hey, yeah. I can afford to have this guy do the music in my movie now. Right. He's like, you know, someone that I admired greatly. Right, the guy that did like the good, the bad, the ugly, like, can now come up with a theme for my movie. But so, Summer of Love, nineteen sixty-seven, Charles Manson is in San Francisco, and he can play guitar. He's not a bad-looking guy. I mean, he when you see him in prison, right? He's a bad-looking guy. Yeah, you have he's to look at the younger. His prime. <laughs> you got to look at the younger pictures of him, you know, and try to erase from your mind the horrible things he, he did. Yeah, when the different actors that have played him, I'm trying to see. They're all pretty handsome. Jeremy Davies, who was Daniel Faraday on Lost, uh, he's a good-looking guy. Matt Smith from Doctor Who just played him in a mo- new movie called Charlie Says, mm. and. I mean, geek girls love could, that guy. Could you imagine Charles Manson with a sonic screwdriver? <laughs> right, he was, the, the havoc he would wreck. Yeah. But, you know, like the, Jeff Ward, um, he's on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He plays uh, Deke on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's uh, played Charles Manson in a Lifetime movie. Ooh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, I, I watched Aquarius, which was David Duchovny hunting down Charles Manson. Oh, I love like, that series, in, yeah. Um, that's it was cool. like a summer series like four years ago, and they made it two seasons before they dropped it, so it never got resolved. Uh, and it was kind of building up to, you know, the, the yeah, big this, events. Yeah, the big mass um, murders. And, but, you know, they had made Charles Manson movies by 1976. In, you know, so it was just seven years after uh, an actor named Steve Railsback plays Charles Manson um, in a in a, a two-night movie, like, you know, a miniseries based on the district attorney, uh, Vincent Bugliosi's book, uh, Helter Skelter. <laughs> so, like, ju- I mean, the blood was still on the walls, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And I think because of where these murders happened mm-hmm. and the the time in which they happened and now we're entering the age of mass media and we haven't even gotten to the celebrity aspect of it. It's such a convergence, though, because I, I was trying to think about why this is so fascinating, because it still is 50 years later. Uh, for one, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we did the 50th anniversary of the moon landing episode. Right. Uh, there's so much going on in the world. It is this juxtaposition of the summer of love with the most evil thing that imaginable. This Not only were these people killed, but they were tortured. They were uh, just brutally, brutally, savagely murdered. Uh, and also, Charles Manson didn't do any of the killing directly. He directed his people to do it. So he's the guy that didn't get his hands dirty. Uh, so what what could you do? You can't imagine a hippie with surrounded by other hippies right. and free love people going out and, and committing this act. How good was his mind control to warp these people in such a way? I think that's a fascinating aspect of it. Well, it is. You know, and in that's he was able to start attracting people right away in San Francisco. 
Um, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, you, Wendy, when you say, why I think of Charles Manson, I think of bug eyes. Scott, <laughs> yeah. you think of a swastika on the forehead. I think of him acting all crazy yeah. in that interview. And um, he probably was a fairly charming man oh, in yeah. real life. Like, yeah. like I mean, he's... He's able in his early 20s to, I mean, he's getting married. He's got girlfriends. He's able to be a pimp and prostitute out women. Mm-hmm. Um, when you combine that with free love, so people are less possessive about their sexual yeah, expression. Right. And then also, don't forget about the drug use oh, at yeah. that time. And heavy, I mean, and heavy use of psychedelics because LSD is not illegal yet. Yeah, yeah. So it's still, you, know, you can order LSD in the back of magazines oh my gosh. because it didn't get illegal. I mean, we can thank Richard Nixon for that. And Richard Nixon made it illegal because he was trying to get at the hippies. Yeah, sure. Uh, the DEA is, you know, basically Nixon's hippie busting organization. <laughs> but so, you know, at this time, um, he's in San Francisco. He starts drawing women to him and creating this. Uh, like mythology that he represents Jesus. He never really said it, but he heavily implied that he was a manifestation of Jesus. And I hadn't heard about this uh, organization before, like investigating more into Charles Manson, but there's this church that starts in 1966 called the Process Church of the Final Judgment. And its founders of this British couple, Marianne McLean and, and Robert D. Grimston, who are former Scientologists, and they get kicked out of Scientology. Ooh. Right, so L. Ron Hubbard must have had a bug up or whatever. Yeah, or they, you know, they read Battlefield Earth, and they're like, <laughs> You could use another draft, you know? <laughs> yeah, you want to give another shot at this one. And so, uh, like, but they developed this idea that they're really into Jungian psychology, and, uh, you know, Jung has this idea of the Christian Trinity that each of the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they, they represent different things about the inside, you know, the internal aspects of the brain. And they kind of change it in the process church to be uh, sci- a little bit of Scientology. Uh, they don't have e-readers or no e-meters. Yeah, yeah. Like, have you guys ever been, um, what do they call it when you get... Audited. Audited. Have you ever been audited by Scientology? Yeah. yeah, I have too. My first, I was in LA for less than 24 hours. <laughs> they gotcha. <laughs> Where huh? my, uh, a tour guide, uh, a friend of mine uh, who took me on a little walk down Hollywood Boulevard, we're w- walking past the Scientology Center and, uh, and and the people are outside fishing, you know, trying to pull people in yeah. to do that kind of thing. And uh, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no thanks. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and I know I, I was not in on the joke, but she was just trolling them. Oh. And but so we sat down separately and, and did this whole like assessment. And it was all just a sales pitch to like, oh, here's where your life sucks. And here's how we can make it better. Ah, okay. right. the, the funny oh. thing is they print out this little graph, which, you know, on the on the face <laughs> oh, no. of it, it's all a good idea. You yeah, know, like sure. self-improvement is always a good thing. Uh, but she was just messing with them. And hers literally came up with a flat line with skulls and crossbones at every <laughs> point. <laughs> you, you're beyond help. Yeah. <laughs> I, the, you know, I got audited in Holland, Michigan. When so I how'd was, they get you? I was like Mike? 12. I was in a mall. Oh. And so my mom was shopping Her and kid. I was in the arcade. <laughs> and oh, so I man, was like, they fish in the arcade. I was like, you know, I have like, I spent all my money at the arcade, and then I was like walking to the bookstore. Oh, okay. And then this girl comes up to me, and she's like, you know, how are you feeling? And I'm like, uh, well, I, I just lost all my money at the arcade, so I'm, you know, <laughs> not great, not, not, not the best. <laughs> and she's just like, you know, how would you like to feel better? And I'm like. I don't what know. are you asking? Who I don't know. You. I don't know you, but I like you. I, I don't, and you know, I don't have money. So. <laughs> right. So I mean, then they did the thing, and I told my mom about it, and she's like, "Ah, oh, the Scientologists," <laughs> you know. Um, but they didn't have e-meters in the Process Church. They had p-scopes. Okay. So they're, ba- I mean, they're copying all this kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. It's a knockoff version. <laughs> um, but so in this church, they have uh, like they say that there's four gods. Not literal entities, but inner realities that exist within us. And so Jehovah, Lucifer, Satan, and Jesus, the great gods of the universe. And they all, we all contain little pieces of them inside us. Jehovah is strength. Lucifer is light. I mean, Satan is separation and Christ is unification. And those things might be separate now, but at the end of the world, they'll all come together to judge us. So they're end of, it's an end of the world kind of church. Mm. 
fun. Right. <laughs> um, and then the four separate divinities get unified in the end times to, to judge us. Ah, okay. Um, and so that, that's judged why, from every angle. That's why it's called the process church. So that's the, the process is the science, scientological aspect of it. It sounds so boring though. And I'm not, and right. And I'm not anti-scientology because I read Dianetics and I think it's got a lot to offer people. I don't think that paying money to Xenu or whatever is going to get you into heaven. <laughs> but I do think if you read that book, you're like, oh, there's, I can find, it, it's good for self-analysis. Mm. So mm. I'm not going to hate on the Scientologists or their master, Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, so th- at the end of the world, they're going to connect. But what I thought was interesting here is, I think, the, when I first thing I think about Charles Manson saying, I'm Jesus Christ, no, I'm Satan. Like, well, that's what he told the girls. Because yeah. that's exactly out of the, uh, that's sure. exactly out of the process, church of the final judgment. And so it's that same kind of idea that um, he's a manifestation of these gods and there is a millennial end time coming. Now, here though, instead of in in the Charles Manson family, instead of it being, you know, God judging everybody, they said it was going to be the race war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that, you know, and they were going to come back to, you know, blacks versus whites. And this is another interesting thing, too, that made it very 1960s, I think, mm-hmm. is this idea of a race war. Yeah. Sure. You know, because it's also a time where only, you know, we're only three years after the Civil Rights Act. Yeah, it's still close enough to them. Yeah, I mean. It's the rise of the Black Panther movement is going on around this time, mm-hmm. too. And uh, MLK being assassinated. There's there's lots of tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, there are lots of huge riots. In 1968... Martin Luther King gets assassinated and Robert Kennedy gets assassinated. Mm-hmm. So it, things feel like a free-for-all because people are just getting shot. Yeah. Everybody's doing drugs. <laughs> Everybody's banging. And, so it ain't all bad. <laughs> right. But it's, uh, it, well, uh, and it's also this age of, um, it's, it's the hippies versus the squares. It's the generation that believes in total freedom. Mm-hmm. And spirituality and things versus the institutions of their parents who were World War II, um, conservative, you know, Jerry, Mather, yeah. Jerry Mathers as the beaver. Survivors yeah. of the Great Depression. Right. Yeah. And you have these kids growing up in the, when America becomes the dominant power in the world mm-hmm. and great economy, um, but also very tumultuous. Uh, when it comes to things like this. So Charles Manson is saying like a race war is coming. We've already seen the first shots of it. They killed Robert Kennedy. They kill uh, Martin Luther King. And so it's going to be whites versus blacks and it's going to be called Helter Skelter. And, you know, we need to be here uh, on our ranch wherever and hide out until, until it's all over. And so he, I mean, most of the people who are in his movement are, Young women, mm-hmm. and they're because the thing is, he, he bug eyes aside, <laughs> and before he like carved the X yeah. mm-hmm. into his head and the swastika and all that crap, um, he was a pretty like you can say it, Mike. He was a handsome young. He's man. a handsome man. Look at that handsome devil. Who also, <laughs> who also plays guitar and and is charismatic. Yeah, apparently he can talk well and well. So what happens is Dennis Wilson's the drummer of the Beach Boys. Yes. And in the late 1960s, the Beach Boys aren't doing, they're not as hot as they were a few years before. So they're looking for some new music and everything. Dennis Wilson picks up a couple hitchhiking girls and, you know, brings them home. A couple days later, he picks them up again. Mm -hmm. And then he leaves. The girls are still at home. And when he comes back, Charles Manson answers the door. (laughs) <laughs> yes. I see him walking down the driveway, I think, right? I think he, he comes home and he's like punching in his coat to the security gate and he sees somebody else coming down to greet him. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, who's this? And he kind of freaks out a little bit. But then Charles Manson like gets on his knees, kisses Dennis Wilson. Oh my God. Kisses Dennis yeah. Wilson. Feet, he goes, do I look like I would hurt you, brother? And never happened to a drummer before ever. Right. The drummer's like, I'm kissing my feet. <laughs> um, but also... Like Charles Manson has these women that he can, hey Dennis, yeah, like you've got to meet, yeah, so and so Rainbow or whatever, right? So he's using you know the the sexual freedom of these girls to smooth things over. Yeah, I mean they're definitely 
pawns that he's using. Right, because Dennis Wilson's like, well, he can't be all that bad. Like, he's getting these girls to have, come in here and have sex with me. Yeah. I, I really got to praise the the series Aquarius, that Duchovny one we were talking about earlier. I think it's on Hulu now, so people can check it out. But they do, I feel, a great job of showing Charles Manson as this uh, charismatic uh, very like it's poetry when he talks mm. like I couldn't imagine writing that and I love writing dialogue but how they make him spontaneously speak is, talk yeah, like good. that yeah um, they, they also show the scary side of him too kind of behind closed doors when he's just him and the girls and getting people to fall in line but yeah so you could see that show does a great job of showing that oh yeah this guy I get it now for the first time maybe yeah yeah and you can listen you hear that in his music so he starts like writing music with Dennis Wilson they start jamming all the time they're just getting high so they're smoking pot and doing LSD and writing music all the time together and the Beach Boys actually released one of his songs that was originally called Cease to Exist and you'll hear our version of that song in a little bit (laughs) but they you know they released it as a song like never learn not to love you kind of thing and they changed some of the words and made it a little more psychedelic Uh, but the funny thing is Charles Manson was so angry that they changed some of the words he left a bullet in Dennis Wilson's bed Wow. Tough yeah. to come back from that one. <laughs> yeah. <that's... laughs> so then they stopped hanging out. Real subtle. Because the, the rest of the Beach Boys did not like Charles Manson. And Dennis Wilson... Their he, spidey senses were tingling. Yeah. Uh, and they were all drugged out at the time, too. So yeah. they were like, we, we, we're all wasted. We don't trust this guy. <laughs> uh, so the, the rest of the Beach Boys don't really like him. There's an argument in the studio, and Dennis kind of kicks Charles out. He ends up spending $100,000 of his fortune, of his mm-hmm. Beach Boys fortune, in on the family, who's basically living at his house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and getting all of his friends treated for, uh, yeah, for <laughs> communicable diseases there they've a, gotten. Uh, there was a gonorrhea uh, outbreak, and I think it was something like $23,000 was spent on like the tests and the treatment for oh gonorrhea God. for all those things. So, lovely. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Um, but when you hear the demos, eventually, eventually the demos all came out. Like one was called "Lie: The Love and Terror Cult," and that was that came out in 1970. Hmm. And they, you know, they released the album of his demos. And you think that Charles Manson's going to sound like the guy that you hear in sure. interviews? Yeah, modern day. And he's just like he's got a like a nice melodious voice. Yeah. You're like, oh, Charles, you sound pretty good, man. <laughs> pretty good band. <laughs> um, but the words. Uh, the words really are very cult-like. Oh, okay. I mean, number one in Cease to Exist, uh, which, which you know, the, um, the Beach Boys changed to never learn not to love you. I mean, the first lines are pretty girl, pretty, pretty girl. <laughs> Cease to exist. Just, oh. com- just come on, say you love me. Give up your world. Wow. I'm your kind. I'm your kind. You can see my life is yours. You can have my world. And... So, Submission is a gift. Go on and give it to your brother. Love and understand. So Man. that's that's like a that's like a seed submission. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. submission is a gift. You're giving me submission. Go on, give it to your brother. Love and understanding for one another. So the next line is like, because the first line's scary. Like submission is a gift, huh? And the next line is, oh, it's love and understanding, man. It's just... What's <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. It's cool, brother. Peace. I'm your kind. I'm your kind. I'm your brother, and I love you. And uh, so. I mean, those lyrics in itself are like, like seduction into a cult. Um, there's a uh, there's another one that where the like the Manson girls sing it, and let me see if I can find that one. It, it's it's another. It was actually covered by Crispin Glover on an album. Hmm. So Crispin Glover was George McFly, Marty's dad. <laughs> Uh, from the, Back the, to the Future. And so in 1989, he put on an album and he covered that song. Wow. Um, but it's another one like, so never learn not to love you. Like it, Charles, Man- in his poetry, like you say, the way he talks is poetic. But that's um, like, he uses these double negatives all the time. So the, the song the girls sing is, I'll never say never to always. And in, you know, when they have a recording of the, and the, there's an album called like The Family Sings. <laughs> oh boy. And, the, you know, people release this after it became a celebrity. And they, you know, there's more Charles Manson in the studio that's unreleased that I think the, because Dennis Wilson, uh, after 1976, he's like, I never want to talk about this again. Yeah. And, I mean, at Dennis Wilson's life, uh, I mean, he died 39, like he drowned. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and what an awful thing to be associated with, you know, even, right. even though he didn't have anything to do with the, the untoward himself. parts yeah. of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he was taken in. Yeah, you know, into into this cult, and you know, just he's like, he's like, well, I'm horrible, getting laid, I'm having fun. The Beach Boys aren't doing that great, but at least we're writing some music. Like, we all have a bad seed friend. <laughs> like, I've had several bad seed friends, <laughs> you yep. know, that eventually I get out of, and I'm like, well, I shouldn't have hung out with that guy at all. That was stupid. <laughs> um, and they never went on to kill anybody, and I never got tested for gonorrhea. Oh wait, <gasps> hold on, let me put oh, the no. Siri. What? Remind me to get tested for gonorrhea. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so you'd know. <laughs> uh, so l- listen to the lyrics of "I'll Never Say Never to Always." First of all, it's the double negative gets me. It's poetic, but it's like, wait, I'll never say never to always. Why don't you just say like, I say yes to always? Yeah. How about that, Charlie? <laughs> Charlie, can you help me out here? <laughs> Brevity, my friend. Always is always forever, as long as one is one. Inside yourself for your father. All is none. All is none. All is one. It's time we put our love behind you. The illusion has been just a dream. The valley of death, and I'll find you. Now is when on a sunshine beam. That's some 60s hippie stuff right there. (laughs) So bring all the young perfection, for there us shall surely be. No clothing, tears, or hunger. You can see, you can see, you can be. And they're sing like these girls are singing this in this sing songy kind of voice and it's creepy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and i could just imagine some people sitting around getting high writing those like working <laughs> oh man yeah wait yeah i can see you can see you can see you, you can, can see. be oh. <laughs> mind blown <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know i didn't even know charles manson wrote music until i bought the spaghetti incident by guns and roses oh yeah <laughs> like i knew that he was like a hippie cult leader sure um, but you know, Spaghetti Incident comes out shortly before uh, the Branch Davidians and David Koresh and the the Siege yeah. at Waco. And David Koresh is the same type of thing. I was thinking of that earlier, talking about the I am Jesus and all that, and it made me think of Koresh so much. The the just m- mental manipulation oh, yeah. of people and and even his look to some extent, uh, Manson in his prime esque, the bigger dark hair and the uh, thousand yard. <laughs> right. Uh, staring, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's funny that, uh, like, David Koresh played bass in a band. Oh, yeah. You know, like, in, uh, on the, uh, so he was, he, like, he had a, a rock band on the uh, grounds, uh, you know, in there, oh. and they, they played that. And, <laughs> well, that know, should have been the first sign. Yeah. Bass player. But then he, rock music in general. <laughs> right. Exactly. You don't trust the, the bass music. player. <laughs> and so. Uh, but the, the similar also, David Koresh is having sex with his congregation, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that's the same type of thing. Well, it's, it's okay. You're not cheating on me. You're not doing anything. I'm Jesus. You know, I'm the reincarnation and this is how we love each other. And so when people do it, there's a certain, uh, there's, a, I mean, we have chemicals that fire off to feel connected to other people. And it seems that these cult leaders, I mean, it's the same thing we talked about the Nexium guy last year, and now he's going up the, the who's gal, mm-hmm. um, is that they're using that, you know, once they, they're using the chemicals that fire off when they have sex with people as a way to start the induction of mind control, of, you know, you're in the family. Now yeah. we have a connection that cannot be severed. <laughs> um, that, I mean, Charles Manson, he's the guy that wrote the book. Yeah. Uh, on this kind of stuff so you know we haven't gotten to the ghosts yet so oh my gosh yes this is i wanted to ask really quickly though while we're still talking about music uh we haven't talked about the beatles at all and of course helter skelter right what the white album i think Uh, and other he he, manson found other what he thought were hidden messages written directly for him to interpret uh including well i you know helter skelter is the big one that they painted and blood on the wall from one of the victims at the La Bianca house. Um, did the Beatles in the moment respond at all to, to this? You know, I, I think they were undergoing because by the time this all came out, mm-hmm. so, I mean, by 1970, the Beatles are broken up. Yeah. But, and, and so this doesn't come out because they don't find the killers until almost, you know, winter time wow. of 1969. Uh, and the Helter Skelter thing comes out in the 1970s. Um, by that time, they were already, like they'd already released Let It Be and it was kind of all over for them. Mm-hmm. So, but I haven't, I didn't see any quotes or anything like Paul McCartney's like saying, oh, Charles Man- Charlie Manson, I hate that guy. 
Yeah, well, I mean, just you, you go to a murder scene and one of your songs is written on the wall. Right. And yeah. you think uh, of a reporter would be like, well, let's get the response from the Beatles. Hey, any excuse to talk to the Beatles? You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, I, Terry, I, I believe that Terry Melcher, who is a producer, mm-hmm. who's son of Doris Day, and he was working with the Beach Boys and everything. I think that Terry Melcher is the guy that gave Charles Manson the White Album. <laughs> Jeez. So wow. that's... It's like handing him the gun. Yeah, and so the thing is, Charles... and But I don't necessarily think that that uh, Manson was using, I think he was using the White Album as a way to indoctrinate the girls more. Right, because yeah. it's such a hugely popular thing. And the Beatles, so let's say you're 18 years old. The Beatles have been around since, you know, the early yeah, 60s. 60s. So the, the Beatles have been in these girls' life. It's, you know, it's like using the new kids on the block mm-hmm. on Wendy. Hey. <laughs> 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 to try, you know, like no, they've got hanging tough has a message just for us. <laughs> um, but that idea that uh, you know, so he uses, he's like, no, the Beatles are just like us. In fact, yeah. the Beatles on our team, and they, they're they're part of the chosen family, and they've got a message for us. So then he's using like social proof or whatever. He's like, oh, helter skelter, don't you hear the messages right. in there? And everybody's high as balls all yes. the time. And so he's planting seeds when they're in a highly suggestible state. Right. And using the things that are already deeply ingrained within their, mm-hmm. you know, psyches. Yeah, to, soli- you know, to solidify. Uh, and it's a tumultuous time. People are getting shot. There's race riots. We talk about the things that happened in Watts, uh, California. Yeah. Um, in, you know, the late 1960s and the tumultuous relationship uh, between blacks and whites. And so you have this group where you're like, well, you, know, it's, you know what this is going to lead to. I don't, in 1968, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot, was also the Democratic Convention in Chicago, oh, yeah. where there's oh, violence yeah. in the streets. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. the cops are beating people. Like, Oof. it is a, it's a time where you think, uh, you know, revolution is could happen. Sure. You know, yeah. then you get to the the spiritual side of it, and you say, well, it's also this is the dawning of the age mm-hmm. of Aquarius. <laughs> so, you know, when have revolutions ever been bloodless? Yeah, serious. You know, and he's just saying, well, this is the next revolution's coming, and he gets these people who are highly suggestible through drugs. Um, so, you know, just say no, kids. And it, it really, this idea of him is insane, or is he just trying to, you know, is this just power for him? Is he mm-hmm. insane, or is he trying to get power? He's trying to make it, like, get a record deal. He's yeah. in Hollywood. He's trying to be close to celebrities. He's using these girls as an entree to celebrities, because these guys are not turning it down. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it seemed like then he gets involved in these murders, and it seems like uh, one of the guys they're just going to kill because they're going to like start the race war. Mm-hmm. And then the guy that actually did the murder of Gary Hinman, um, Bo Salale, I think is his name. He um, he the, like the police have him in, in jail, and so the police have him as the prime suspect. And Charles Manson's like, we got to make we got to free him. We got to make them think that the killer's still out there. So because on uh, Gary Hinman, the the first, it's like a music professor. Um, and so Gary Hinman, like he even had Charles Manson live with him a couple of times, you know, like in the family, like mm-hmm. family members and stuff. Sure. So the first, the first murder victim was someone that they knew. It wasn't random. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kill him because they're trying to score some money. And so they kill him. They write in political piggy in blood on his walls. And so then, you know, they catch the guy who's responsible for the murder, the police do. And then Charles Manson's like, well, we have to try to convince them that the murderers are still on the loose. Mm-hmm. So that's when he orders the, the murderer, Sharon Tate, and or, or the people who are living in Terry Melcher's old house. Yes, yes. In there. And so uh, that happens. And then a couple days later, uh, randomly, the LaBianca family, what do they own? Like supermarkets or something? Yeah, a grocery Right. I, I will say uh, first uh, to go back briefly in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood they depict a real life moment where uh, Charles Manson himself comes up to the Sharon Tate house looking for Terry and and uh, Sharon Tate sees him and is in the moment kind of creeped out by him in real life she was creeped out by him in the movie I don't know if that comes across so much but that there's a little moment in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that is very accurately depicted mm. from what we've heard. All right, so at least Tarantino kept the little things close to mind. Yes. You know, that he came there looking for Terry Melcher, and then he had, Terry Melcher had already moved out. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. that's right. And then he just sent, you know, it seemed like Charles Manson had just sent the group to kill whoever was living there in order to 
um, take the heat off of his operative that was already yeah. in hmm. in jail. And then once that happened, they they you know they kill the Biancas, the La Biancas uh, two days later, and it's just as you know brutal or whatever. Oh man, or it, yeah. Maybe it was four days later. I'm sorry, but there's two of them who were killed, and it's super brutal, and more of the painting the words in blood mm-hmm. on the wall. Yeah, and, and this is a, a another line from. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that uh, they say, as, as we see the killers as they're preparing to go out, they said, Charlie wanted us to make it witchy. That was, they wanted to make it uh, seem it's oh. kind of cultist, but also political, but they wanted to to, to feel witchy, <laughs> the scene. Oh, that's interesting. So a few months later, they do figure out who the killers are. And, um, well, and then that... Everything else is described in Helter Skelter by Vincent Bugliosi, and you can see it in the movies. But what they don't talk about in those movies, or whatever, uh, except for The Haunting of Sharon Tate, <laughs> yes, yes, are the ghost stories of those particular houses. Now, yes. Scott, you've actually investigated the areas. I've been to a, a number of the places when I was doing the LA Hauntings tour. Uh, we didn't go to any of those locations on the tour, but people would always ask about Manson stuff. So I felt like, well, I should actually visit some of these sites so I could know what to talk about. And uh, the LaBianca house, uh, which is very famously just recently purchased by Mr. Ghost Adventure, Zach Baggins himself. Yep, Zach's going to bro it it's up. the next Demon House. Yeah, yeah it's, hopefully it'll be just as good as Demon House. I don't think he bought this one sight unseen. <laughs> he always <laughs> talked about his uh, Indiana house. Right, the Indiana house he bought for $35,000. Yeah. Yep. This house he bought for $1.8 But yeah. it might be a better property investment. Slightly. Just a touch. He doesn't <laughs> just have, might be. He won't have to wreck it when it's over. <laughs> no, he won't be bulldozing this nearly $2 million house. It's so funny, though, because when I was there, you could see on the curb, you know, out in L.A., They've got the addresses spray painted on the curb and you could see how it was kind of like they tried to remove it to change the address to keep curiosity seekers away. Yeah. And now here Baggins shows up and that's the last thing he likes to do. (laughs) Right. Um, Well, I mean, in in Las Vegas, there's signs everywhere for Zach Baggins Haunted Museum, like big billboards and stuff. So I'm sure once he turns this into some kind of. Is yeah. that the plan, or is he going to just use it for investigation and, and create more episodes and maybe a movie out of it, or does anybody know? Well, you, you don't, I mean, he probably would turn it into a, like a tourist location for people to That would be interesting out. to be able to gain access to the house for the public. Um, right. But it makes you wonder if, you know, oh, yeah. if you can do that, like with zoning and whatnot. Oh, that's true. That's true. And, and it's a, an upscale neighborhood, so people aren't yeah. going to want tourists right. parking oh, out there not and the kind of people bad enough with tmz adventures. rolling around all yeah the time. You, you know i think about um the fact that trent Reznor, like yeah. he he didn't necessarily buy the house but he rented the house uh that sharon tate was murdered in um to record the downward spiral oh yeah and i think in the end he realizes that that was exploitive yeah gosh yeah <laughs> right but it, the 90s being transgressive like so I mean Marilyn Manson, mm-hmm. like everybody in the band, the idea was that they named themselves after a soup, like a, a model, yeah. and then a serial killer. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, Twiggy Ramirez is his guitar player. <laughs> you know, and 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 so that's the kind of idea. So Charles Manson, he's not like a, a folk hero, but he's used as a boogeyman. Yeah, like why, yeah. while he's still alive. The uh, the Nine Inch Nails studio thing does kind of make me wonder, though. I mean, it's it clearly sounds exploitive and like trying to use this oh, oh yeah he's doing album. industrial dark yeah, music exactly but if you're recording an album over the course of several months and spending that much time in a location like that i have to wonder how it would affect your music writing you know sure as a musician i just i've, I've i'm not yeah. typically working on songs in a place where i'm feeling <laughs> yeah you know negative things all sure. the time so well especially if it's haunted mm-hmm. right and and so what places did you investigate so, uh, I don't know about investigate, but, you know, I v- went to the side of the Lobby. You didn't, like, house. bring out your K2 or I, I did not uh, here. Um, I, I did go to Spawn Ranch, which there's not much of it left because it, it burned down uh, just the year after the murders. A wildfire went through there, and it, oh, which is unfortunate because wow. there was all the old Western sets yeah. and all that that got lost. Uh, but what is what still does remain is that really famous cave where uh, Time Magazine took a picture of a lot of, a lot of the Manson family members hanging out in this cave. That cave is still there. And it's 
it's weird to to visit because it's full of other people visiting it too. And I, I you know, I guess I'm in that same boat, <laughs> so I can't be too judgmental. Yeah, all those weird people visiting it, you know. Oh, exactly. Oh, oh, I mean, never mind. But it, it's, you know, people were there... I don't know, like like fans flocking to a site. Oh, sure. And it, it reminded me of one place that we did go on the lo- on our tour, not associated with Manson, but associated with uh, Ramirez. As he just brought up his name, uh, Richard Ramirez, the Night Soccer, who was a, a serial killer in the earlier '80s or maybe mid '80s. Um, we stopped at the Cecil Hotel in downtown Los Angeles, and people would get out and be able to see the place up close and personal. It's so much creepy stuff two serial killers set up shop there and it's also the site where elisa lamb's body was found in the water Mm. tank on the roof lots of dark history here and one time i I pulled over and i opened up the side of the van so the tour guests could get out and somebody was wearing a richard ramirez t-shirt and he was just glowing just like so excited to be there what i thought this is sick well i mean axel rose used to wear a a t-shirt with charles manson on stage and the back said like charlie don't surf or something like that. So, I mean, he used to wear that. Oh I mean, gosh. well, I mean, people wear Che Guevara's yeah. thing and Che Guevara, he yeah. butchered people. I'm mean, not a serial killer. He stood killer. for something, though, well, I believe, you know. Right. He's, he's, right. It's like wearing Robespierre's or, uh, <laughs> you know, like if the French Revolution people on your T-shirt be like, well, they, they cut off a few heads, but their hearts yeah. were in the right yeah. place. <laughs> sure. Uh, and then finally, the... Uh, which it's so neat to see in the film uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but they shot at Cielo Drive. So anytime you see them do that kind of hairpin curve mm-hmm. in the movie, which you see it a lot, uh, that's actually legitimately where Cielo Drive is. Oh, that's wow. actually them turning onto the street and going up this uh, valley road. Uh, I can't remember what canyon it's in, if it's Benedict Canyon or, or I get a mix up. Anyway, um, Sharon Tate's house was at the end of the street. It just dead ended right into her gate, as opposed to you see a, uh, cul-de-sac in the movie um ah, okay so as you guys were talking about uh yes trent reznor occupied that space for a while and had a recording studio there the building itself has been bulldozed uh i think that was in the earlier 90s uh it does not exist at all anymore and now there's this opulent massive house this oh, huge wow. mansion sure. on the property and we have no idea if there's any hauntings going on mm. at that site but it's it made me gasp out loud in the movie seeing them they've rebuilt the house exactly like you see in the old uh press photos oh, of the sharon god. tate house How much money they spent on oh it. my god yeah i don't know where they built it i wondered if it was cg or something because yeah. it's it's perfect it's huh. so beautiful cool. in the film um however that area and i think it's fascinating just across the canyon so looking over the street from that perch you look at rudolph valentino's house called Falcon's Lair. And of course, he's like the most, I was calling him the most well-traveled ghost in LA because <laughs> right. he's seen all over the place, including Falcon's Lair. And then the street below, every time I saw Brad Pitt screaming by it, I'm like, that's where Valentino's horse stables were and people still see a phantom horse oh, out wow. there. <laughs> but um, so there's a lot of paranormal activity in this area and it's known by the USGS as a, as a magnetic anomaly area. Whoa. There is super high electromagnetic energy that comes up through this area the the theory is that there's a dormant volcano below it and it's all this this um this charged uh frozen i guess you would say lava stagnant lava that is magnetized Mm -hmm. it has uh, a lot of this energy in it and now you have all of these houses in this area building as they like to do in la on the side of a steep mountain right uh to get the good views so they have to bore down 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 with these huge metal uh support beams oh wow and maybe those beams are kind of funneling that energy up tapping into it like an antenna and that's not creating a haunting but if somebody walks into one of these houses and they have some sort of a, a relative that's attached to them still or something that they picked up somewhere <laughs> on their travels, uh, it's more easy for them to make their presence known when they're in this area. Sure. Well, you know, I, I'm that's reading a, um, yeah. an L.A. Weekly interview with uh, David Omen, who uh, has he has a new house just 150 feet away from the, the house at the end of the drive, on yes. the sale drive. <laughs> and... Um, he said, I mean, he said he's seen different things. Mostly it's voices uh, in his place, even though, like, uh, he's not in any, he's not in the house. So there's no house anymore. Right. Like, you know. Correct. And he's not even the closest house to with the property. So, but he is on Cielo Drive. He's and, on Cielo and so, Drive. and so he's, 
uh, you know, particularly says that um, he's seen like a full body apparition in the house. Yeah. Um, Barry Taff has investigated it. <laughs> yeah. uh, our favorite. And, oh, yeah. and Barry did say that um, in the 4,000 cases he investigated, that this house had the highest consistent EMF readings he'd seen and called it the Mount Everest of haunted houses and Disneyland for the dead. <laughs> I don't... I don't. I mean, I didn't see Barry say that. David said, "Is that that's what Barry Taff said?" Uh-huh. He he's written up about that a lot. Barry has, uh, of course, Barry's famously part of the UCLA or was part of the UCLA parapsychology uh, program that is discontinued now, unfortunately. But uh, he said it's the one place that he's ever investigated that he would never go back to. Wow. Hmm. Um, it it is. I've been to the house twice on two occasions, and it's been so different from from one week to the next when i was there there's so many claims and a lot of them are like okay well a little little thing falls over here and there well you're on the side of a mountain in an earthquake prone <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. town so <laughs> okay that'll happen uh but also i'm telling you oh so talking about k2 meters and stuff like that just using a compass it's one of the few places i've ever been where you could hold a compass and the needle just spins whoa yeah and sometimes it'll just point in a certain direction oh, and wherever you walk cool. it'll keep pointing uh, to like a, an invisible object in the room. Uh, it's I've never seen compasses act the way it does there. The very first time I went there, and again, you, it's a, a unique building where, again, think about it, you're on the side of a mountain. You enter on the top level of this three-story house because that's where the road is. And so then it, the house just cascades down from there, yeah. down the side of the mountain. Um, walk through the first floor, got the little tour, no big deal. Second floor, and the funny thing was that uh, at the time, there was a puppy in the premises that was just jumping all over Aww. us and happy to see people around. When we began to walk down the staircase to the lowest floor, the dog would not come down the stairs with us. <laughs> and it was down there that I, I was with... Uh, the second time I was there, I brought a skeptic along with me. And she, on camera, is pushed. Uh, pushed down to to fall into uh, a recliner chair that was there. And she freaked out. She's like, something pushed me. And as soon as she had a little while to realize that she's on camera, freaking out about being pushed by some unseen force, she kind of like straightened up and walked out of the room. But like, <laughs> we have together. the moment that this yeah. skeptic wow. was physically pushed. Huh. But the first time I was there, I felt this insane pressure on my head as if I was deep underwater and sometimes it it led to even feeling dizzy. And one point I had to hold on to the wall of the, wow. the, the basement. I've never felt like that before. And I was trying to rationalize it. You know, we've we drove up from the ocean to a mountaintop. Maybe that it's that kind of pressure. But I mean, come on, we're not we're not literally in Everest. <laughs> right. But, right. But also I think it's interesting here though, is that you know, we're putting the uh you know, Sharon Tate and her group and Manson family, yeah. because within the past 50 years, we've had this atrocity happen, you know, mm-hmm. on, on our watch. So that's why we, we kind of put that history on there. But like, as you said, um, there was a, uh, you know, there's some kind of weird electromagnetic field there. Yeah. That's, you know, that this location that compasses act weird around. Yeah, yeah. So there's already something that could affect us in, in some kind of way. And, now, Sharon Tate had her own kind of experience, right? Yeah, premonition. So, and what was that premonition again? Like, they know they made a movie about it this year with Hillary Duff as Sharon Tate, and the reviews uh, were uh, stink. <laughs> so I think stinker is the best way to put it. <laughs> we actually previewed this, I think it was episode 230 yes. earlier in the year, which was a very fun episode where we previewed a lot of different nice. horror movies coming up. And that movie, uh, I would look to see, oh, I wonder if they're releasing it on the, the anniversary of the murder or something like that. No, they released it in April. I didn't even hear about it. Yeah. And I was l- looking for it. <laughs> um, but so she, I mean, she had a premonition. Yeah. Of, like, because it was a producer that used to live at the house, right? Yeah. I think it was uh, Paul Byrne, if I remember correctly. And he was, uh, I should have looked this up before uh, jumping on, but he was married to a starlet of the time. And uh, I believe he ended up killing himself in the house. Um, but, but, oh yeah. So Sharon had experiences, I think maybe seeing his ghost and that kind of thing where it goes further back. So, it's, yeah. you know, you, you, so that atrocity happens with Sharon. The guy kills himself in the place. That's the stuff we kind of know about from the modern yeah. era is, you know, is there something to do with that kind of electromagnetic activity? Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, contributing to it. You know, we, we're putting a narrative that we feel comfortable with because we're comfortable with the idea not necessarily comfortable, but we are used to the idea mm-hmm. that when somebody suffers a violent death, 
that they're going to have uh there you know some energy remains behind either for vengeance or to warn people or because they want to be remembered in a certain way yeah but yeah she had a sharon tate in addition to seeing some ghostly activity there uh she did at one time get up from sleep and was walking through the house and saw herself like gagged and tied up, I think it was to the staircase oh banister. So we we wondered, did she see some sort of a premonition? Because, of course, she was tied up yeah. the day she was killed. Yeah, and so did the EMF give her an altered state where she could see her future? Yeah, a little time slip. Um, so did you ever see anything in the LaBianca house? Or have an experience? Did anybody get pushed? Did you get feel the pressure on your head? Uh, so not at the LaBianca house. Uh, so that was a place we just saw from outside. So Zach Baggins just paid $1.8 million for nothing? We have no idea. Because it's always been privately owned and people don't, you know, the people that have lived there since the murders haven't wanted the attention. So they, we don't know anything so about what's been going on. So that is a definite element of curiosity that makes it very appealing to a guy and, that wants yeah. to. And I want to paint the picture <laughs> a little bit because this is in Los Feliz, which is a beautiful, it's maybe the best neighborhood in L.A. Uh, if you guys have watched Swingers, there's uh, yeah, the, baby. The, yeah. the diner with Marty and Elaine. That's that's nearby. <laughs> okay. It's really a fun, swanky place. And So you're saying Los Feliz is money? It's Oh, and it doesn't <laughs> even know it. Yeah. Um, but also in Los Feliz is one of the reported, alleged, it's not, uh, but one of the places that people always call the Black Dahlia House. Uh, it's called. It's really the Soden House, where uh, definitely one of the prime suspects in the Black Dahlia killing lived there, and uh, they did wiretapping and they investigated this guy privately. Uh, the, the, the authorities did this, is and he was eventually cleared. But he's the guy that George Hodel, it's his son, right. thinks his dad did it. Uh, but this guy was definitely a sketchy, shady, scary, creepy person. So like bad stuff definitely happened in that house. Probably not the Black Dahlia killings. Also in Los Feliz is the Los Feliz Murder House, which is a place that's, I if I could do a pilot episode of a ghost hunting show and I could go anywhere in the world, this is where I would go. The Los Feliz Murder House. Yeah. Uh, a guy took a hammer to his family. Uh, some of his daughters lived, but were gravely injured. Uh, the surviving family members uh, were kids and they went across the country to live with family members oh. after this guy went nuts. He was a doctor. Uh, but that house is frozen in time from that day. Whoa. So this house, beautiful house, uh, allegedly you can look into the windows and still see board games in progress. Uh, like there's Christmas presents unopened there. No. It's just a time capsule from the moment of the murder. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that's a place that nobody's been able to go inside. It's uh, owned by people that don't live in California. They kind of use the garage for storage. Of course. And there's security systems and motion detectors and all that. So really nobody's been in there. And that's so this is all within, you know, spitting distance, if you will, from the LaBianca house. So there's a lot of really creepy houses yeah, in the same. small upscale neighborhood. And actually, this coming week, uh, after this episode comes out, I'm going to do a, a live YouTube, a Ghost Hunter Watches, kind of a reaction video to uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where I will, I'll talk about the Mance murders more and, and the hauntings associated with them. But also, they shot, and you can see lots of good, cool, haunted locations in the background of a lot of these Ooh, places. That so fun. I'm going to talk about those types of things uh, so that when you guys rewatch <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because yeah. there will be spoilers, uh, but you'll cool. be able to see uh, some cool haunted locations and hear some more ghost stories uh, that relate to buildings and locations that you see in the movie. So go see the movie and then yes. next week, when and where can they find this, Scott? Uh, go onto YouTube and just search for my name. That's probably the best way to do it. Scott Marcus, M-A-R-K-U-S and uh, I'm going to aim for this coming Wednesday. Great. To do the live stream and uh, of course it'll stay up so if you don't catch it live, you'll be able to watch it later. Yeah, too. whenever you see the movie, you want to make sure you... Yeah, and I'll put it up on, <laughs> on whatsyourghoststory.com as well fantastic thank you oh that's pretty cool pretty cool um so you know i wanted to get more into this but i think we'll have to wait for a different episode and i'd love to get this uh this author on there um the book is called chaos charles manson the cia and the secret history of the 60s and it came out this year the author's name is tom o'neill and what he was doing is that uh he was writing a story in 1999 for premiere magazine about the 30th anniversary of the Charles Manson murders. And it eventually turned out to be research and it, decades of his life mm. in looking into this and interviewing ex-CIA people. And uh, he tried to get Vincent Bugliosi, the guy that wrote Helter Skelter, and the, the prosecutor who mm -hmm. put Charles Manson, uh, who, who 
who gave Charles Manson the death penalty. You know, he eventually talked, he talked to him and did research about this. And he's, he says that it's a lot more, well, a little more conspiracy oriented than we even know hmm. because they had like the CIA was doing mind control experiments with LSD in San Francisco in the late 1960s. And Charles Manson, they kind of let him out there so that they could see the, the kind of stuff, what he was doing. This is his, one of the things that he, he says, okay. um, that the CIA kind of wanted to see how Charles Manson did it. You know, they wanted to see his effects because maybe they could create a Manchurian candidate kind of situation <laughs> or an assassin or, you know, where they could do that with mind control and LSD. And then he uh, he has a, a bust up with Vincent Bugliosi where Bugliosi says he's going to ruin his life if he prints the book and everything. And that's one of the reasons he waited until after the guy died to print it. And that theory is um, the police were really lenient on Charles Manson. He's on parole all this, you know, he, cause he's been in and out of prison and they never send him back to prison, yeah. even though they know that he's doing crazy stuff and they know the police know of him. And so the idea is what, you know, what if they're in action is what caused these murders? Like they knew this guy was out here. They didn't take him seriously. They, uh, you know, it's like when the Milwaukee police let Jeffrey Dahmer go, you know, those, sure, off, those, yeah. those officers eventually Have to live with that. There was a trial for those officers uh, and Jeffrey Dahmer. And so this idea that if people found out really how much the LAPD knew uh, and how much they were kind of being very lenient on him, you know, there would be hell to pay because, yeah. you know, nine people ended up being murdered for it. So that's just a little bit of this book, Chaos, and um, we'll have to get more into that in a different episode. Uh, but for now, we're going to create our own chaos uh, because we, um, well, yesterday was a weird day because I spent most of it listening to Charles Manson's music. <laughs> yeah, that sounds so that, you know, like a recipe for an odd day. How are you feeling today, Mike? Right. Uh, I'm, fe- I'm feeling great. Did you have any weird dreams last night? No, I mean, I woke up with a swastika on my head, so that was weird. Maybe we should drive separately to the show. Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, in going over uh, a Charles Manson song we should do for this episode, I thought that Cease to Exist, the one that actually became the, the Beach Boys song, was the, the one that kind of mo- like detailed a little bit of the, the slipping in the mind control aspects of it. You know that mm-hmm. that those lines, like the every other line, is something. And you're like, oh, that's that's questionable. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's and that you know, was charitable. Right. <laughs> it's planting that seed uh, in the head of the listener, and so you can imagine everybody high, sitting around a campfire. Charlie's singing in his nice voice, and he's just like, "Come on, girl, say you love me. I'm your brother. <laughs> you know, I'm your kind." Uh, and so, uh, Wendy and I are your kind. <sighs> Here cease to exist. Pretty girl, pretty, pretty girl Cease to exist, come on, say you love me Give up your world, come on, you can be I'm your kind, oh your kind And I can't see Walk on, walk on, I love you pretty girl My life is yours and you can have my world I never had a lesson I ever learned But I know we all get our turn And I love you Never learned not to love you Submission is a gift Go on, give it to your brother Love and understanding is for one another I'm your kind, I'm your kind, I'm your brother I never had a lesson I ever learned But I know we all get our turn And I love you, never learn not to love you 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 Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at OthersidePodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. You know who's not crazy? 
What? Who's not crazy? Our patrons. Oh my gosh. No, they're not crazy at all. But we are crazy about you. <laughs> we are. Um, you know, we just had a great patron hangout last night. Uh, you know, talk- That was a blast. Yeah. Just talking about horror movies and paranormal stuff. Um, whether you can shoot Bigfoot on a national right? park. <laughs> Yeah. What kind of permitting you need for that? Exactly. Yeah. And that was uh, that was fantastic. So we want to thank everybody who joined us for that. And we'd like you to join us uh, in a Patreon hangout. And you can do that by going to othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Now, we have to say thank you to Dr. Ned. Yes. Dr. Ned, you're the best. Thank you so much for being such a solid supporter. And uh, we're always happy to see you, whether it's at a show at a, uh, a hangout or anywhere. Absolutely. You know, to the rest of you who aren't Dr. Ned, we would like to thank you as effusively. Yes. Oh. Um, if you, the, the thing is, he's at the level where he gets a shout out in every <laughs> single episode. And if you guys want to get a shout out in every single episode, please check out our Patreon community. The patrons we have, we love you. And with more, we can do more cool stuff. And we cannot wait to show you what we have in store. So please check out othersidepodcast.com slash donate and Nelter Skelter. Pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> so smooth. <laughs> I'm Jesus Christ. No, I'm Satan. This is sick.